Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. Welcome to Book Club with Michael Smirkanish, a collection of Michael's favorite interviews with authors from the last 30 years through today, on the air, on radio. What sets my book club apart is that I actually read the books. Book Club is now in session. I changed my voting registration from Democrat to Independent today. It was a strangely emotional experience. Not my words, but the words of my next guest, It's awfully nice to have entrepreneur, former presidential candidate, former New York City mayoral candidate, and now author of the new book, Forward, Notes on the Future of Our Democracy, Andrew Yang, join me now. Andrew, thanks so much for being here, and welcome to the Independent Fold. It's nice to have you here. I have to say, I have really enjoyed my time as an independent. (laughs) Like The last two (laughs) weeks have been dynamite. So why was it an emotional, a strangely emotional experience when you finally made the switch? Well, it's one reason I feel so good about it, Michael, is because it turns out that without even realizing it, just having a D next to your name actually does frame your uh, perceptions and thinking about things. I feel like I see things a bit differently now than I did even two weeks ago, even though it's just a simple piece of paperwork that, uh, you know, you, you just fill out and send in. Um, But I had been a registered Democrat for 26 years, so maybe that fueled some of the emotion. And uh, it wasn't an enormous part of my identity, I thought, but it turns out that undoing it (laughs) made it 
made it really feel like a milestone. Uh, and so, and I, I, you know, it's funny is like I shared it with uh, uh, the world in the, the post you read. I didn't realize it would become such a thing, um, which, which might have been kind of strange on, on my part. Uh, I guess someone like me leaving a party is a big deal. I remember uh, being at the DMV in 2010, having voted exclusively for Republican candidates from 1980 until Obama in 08. And then very publicly, although I was still a Republican, I voted for Obama, found myself at the DMV with one of our then young sons, not so young anymore. And in Pennsylvania, it's a standard question to say when you're renewing your license, would you like to register to vote? No, I'm already registered. Okay, well, would you like to change your registration? And that was the day. That was the moment for me. And I, in fact, I let the sun push the button in which I became a, an independent. So when you say it was a, a strangely emotional experience, yeah, I was overwhelmed with experiences and thoughts that I had of, of being a young Republican. In my case, Andrew, I maintain that I didn't change as much as the party changed in those three or so decades. How about you? Do you think you changed more or that the Democratic Party changed? I think that my vision or image of the Democratic Party did not quite sync up to reality. <laughs> and, 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 I, and I think that, you know, I had learned a lot uh, running for president and running for mayor, though my departure from the Democratic Party is more focused on trying to solve the problems that affect everyone that I think are almost impossible to solve from within either of the parties. And I know you've done a lot of thinking about this, but I've now come to believe or realize that our duopoly is just a terrible, terrible design failure. Uh, it's leading to greater and greater polarization with no end in sight. It's going to lead to eventual unrest and conflict. We can all see it and feel it. And so we need a sea change of the dynamic. Uh, and I was just looking this morning at a quote from John Adams where he feared two great parties uh, as one of the real nightmares that could emerge from the Constitution. And unfortunately, we're living a version of that nightmare right now. In your case, it's not just that you're leaving the Democratic fold and becoming an independent, but rather, correct me if I'm wrong, you're starting the forward party, a new party. Why go the sort of full Monty into a third party instead of trying to harness the many eyes who are already out there? I as an independent. Oh, well, hopefully a lot of the eyes will will come check out the forward party. But if you look at the numbers, a record 62 percent of Americans want an alternative to the two major parties. 60% say both parties are out of touch. And I, I am an entrepreneur. And so if you arrived in a marketplace and you saw those features where you're like, what? <laughs> there, there are two companies and 62% of people want, want a choice. You'd want to provide it to them. The problem is that the structures, and you know this intimately, the structures disadvantage any attempt at forming a third party. So what's fascinating is the first mission of the forward party is to change the mechanics, where if we had open primaries and ranked choice voting in states around the country, as opposed to these closed party primaries, you'd see different parties emerge. So in some cases right now, it's the process that's holding us back and it's the process that we need to change. It would also make our leaders and our country more reasonable because it would reward folks who are more in the center than on the extremes. I agree with you that I live in a closed primary state. I wish that weren't the case, but I, I agree with you that closed primaries are an issue. I'd like to see ranked choice voting. I worry about the usual issues like dark money, gerrymandering, self-sorting. 
But if you were to ask me what has driven us into a, a polarization ditch over the span of the last two plus decades, I would say it's the media. And I feel even more strongly now that I've met the Facebook whistleblower and recognize the algorithm influence for the news feed and the destructive role I think that has played. I'm curious as to Andrew Yang having run for president, run for mayor. You did work for CNN in between now writing this book. Where do you see the media role in all of that plagues us? Well, this is a a fairly significant part of my book where the incentives in the media are driving us into ideological camps and fueling our polarization. And then to your point, social media is pouring gasoline on the whole thing. Right Uh, right now, you get rewarded much more for being sensationalist and extreme. uh, And that's where the energy goes. That's where the ratings go. That's where the dollars go. That's one reason why our polarization, to your point, Michael, has gotten worse and is going to get worse still. Uh, The media is very much a huge part of it because the media has its own incentives. It turns out if you give people what they want to hear, they'll reward you, uh, come back for more. And over time, you end up presenting a distorted view of, quote unquote, the news or or the truth. I mean, there was an MSNBC producer I quote in my book who characterized their product as not news, but comfort. Like that, they're not even really pretending that it's objective journalism um, internally to justify decisions that they're making. What role do you see for yourself in the 2022 midterm? We have to elevate candidates who are more centrist, more reasonable, more independent, uh, or for some of these process changes in the forms of open primaries and ranked choice voting, which really will stifle any uh, genuine competition for the two major parties. And we need to push ballot initiatives in states around the country to make these changes right now. And for anyone listening to this who says, wow, you can do this, one state, Alaska, has already made this switch where they switched to open primaries and ranked choice voting last year and already are seeing the impact in terms of the actions of their representatives. So we have to take advantage of 2022 to liberate more of our representatives to act on principle, on patriotism, and on their own judgment. In other words, 2022 will be a year you hope for structural change, but maybe a bit premature to think that the forward party would have slates of candidates running across the country? We're very practical at the forward party. And the fact is, (laughs) uh, most people are going to choose the D or the R in order to run in a district to be competitive. Uh, But if they're aligned with our principles, Uh, we'll get behind them. We do eventually want a system where you can run under any party line. And so anyone listening to this who just wants political dynamism and diversity and new parties to emerge should be on board with our core mission of changing the mechanics. Um, But right now, Michael, it's not going to help you that much to be running on the forward party line. So, you know, we're, we're going to be practical and boost the candidates where they are. Was there an epiphany moment for you? And if so, what was it? What was that moment when Andrew Yang said, I'm, I'm no longer comfortable in this environment and I'd rather go in a different direction? Oh, well, running for president, it was go, 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 100 miles an hour. And then when I came off the trail, I wrote this book, uh, Forward Notes on the Future of Our Democracy. And, and the book was trying to process what the heck I'd just been through and what I'd learned. And what I'd learned was some of the things you just described in terms of the polarization of the media and social media's uh, corrosion of our democracy uh, and and our our public consensus. 
Uh, and so when I looked at these problems, I reckoned with what an honest solution would look like. And I realized that an honest solution would have to come from outside the parties uh, because in some ways it's the duopoly itself that is set up to fail. And by the way, the legislative incentives also uh, push people to the corners because you're much more likely to get reelected if you don't compromise. Uh, you know, that, that's just the, the way the system is built right now. So I realized that this was the right thing to do while I was writing my book. Um, but of course, that wasn't public knowledge. You know, it was just a manuscript somewhere. And so I knew when the book came out that I was going to do this because I don't have it in me to write a book and say, hey, someone should do this um, when it turns out that I'm probably the best situated someone. I read the excerpt that was in Politico, which I really appreciated. And, and in particular, when you described that running for president is like constantly attending your own birthday party. It's a weird experience, right? Oh, yeah, it's bizarre. I mean, keep in mind, I was a relatively anonymous civilian uh, just a few years ago. And then I, I was uh, uh, a candidate for president, made seven national debates and was surrounded by staff and consultants and supporters and TV cameras. Uh, and one of the things I say in that chapter is that the act of running for president actually requires qualities that generally would make for very poor leaders. Uh, and if you're the type of person that's just talking to cameras all the time, there's all of this stuff that you're probably not paying attention to that nine times out of 10 is much more important for an operation as someone who's run companies. Um, the problem, though, is that our political marketplace doesn't work like that, where uh, appearance supersedes operational quality or excellence or delivery, which is one reason why Americans are so fed up right now, Michael, is that our bureaucracies aren't able to deliver regardless of who's in charge. And then we pretend it's because the person uh, at the helm dropped the ball when really in some ways our machinery is failing us. Uh, Philip Howard said that we're playing you lose, I lose between the two major parties while we're all, all doing the losing. If there's an issue for which Andrew Yang is best known, I would argue that it's universal basic income. And I was thinking about you a couple of days ago when I saw a headline that said 4.3 million Americans quit jobs in August. The job openings at that time, roughly 10.4 million. Those looking for work, roughly 8.3 million, meaning the data suggests there's a job out there for everyone today who is unemployed. Here's the question for Andrew Yang. Are these the sort of dynamics that caused you initially to first take seriously the idea of universal basic income? In other words, are we seeing coming to fruition what you forecast? We are seeing the acceleration of the automation of a lot of jobs in the economy. Uh, when I was running for president, I was pointing out that we'd automated away 4 million manufacturing jobs that had blasted away entire communities in the Midwest in particular. Uh, and now we can see that that's happening more and more as people are working remotely. A lot of urban uh, commercial real estate is still idle because people aren't back in the office uh, through the pandemic. And companies are doubling and tripling down on uh, AI and software and robots. We can see it and feel it around us. Um, so unfortunately, the future I projected is uh, speeding up um, and, and here with us. It's one reason why I think we do need to think bigger about how to manage this transition and also not tie the money people are getting to not working, which is really the way a lot of our 
programs are designed. If you get unemployment benefits right now, and I have young, young, I have young acquaintances who are in this boat, you are getting paid as long as you don't have a job. And so they, they are waiting for those benefits to elapse. Uh, I think if we were to, to tailor those benefits, scale them down and then say, look, you can keep the money. Uh, if you find a good opportunity, they'd be looking a little bit sooner. What I think I hear you say is, is that the pandemic accentuated what you already knew was coming. Oh, yeah, it accelerated the timeline a ton. I mean, one of the things that, that my friends in technology say is that we've done 10 years worth of uh, automation in uh, 10 weeks, in some cases. And it's now become much more acceptable for companies to invest in this because they look at it and say, well, you know, it, it, it prevents human contact. <laughs> you know, it's like, like everywhere from uh, Walmart to Tyson Foods uh, to, to Google, I mean, everyone's investing in it. Let me ask you the question that we often debate here on my program recently. Why aren't more people working? I mean, do you think that it's enhanced unemployment benefits and and some of the other social safety net that's been extended? Do you think that people have had epiphany moments? They no longer want to take that job. They're going to hold out for something else. I mean, what is it exactly? Uh, I think there are a number of factors. I do think the negative incentives attached to some of our programs uh, is playing a role. Uh, I think most of it is just that people are burnt out and traumatized and depressed. And then when they wake up and they see this job waiting for them, they think, wait a minute, like, uh, is, is this job really what I want to do? And in some cases, they may not even have the means or flexibility to, to, to step back, but they're going to step back anyway. I mean, uh, we can all sense that our country is going through a very, very difficult time, almost psychically or spiritually. Like there, there's a, a malaise and the malaise uh, is, I believe, driving a lot of people to question what they're doing with their their, um, their livelihoods uh, or their occupations. Uh, Andrew, thanks for being so gracious with your time. The book, by the way, Forward, Notes on the Future of Our Democracy, just a final subject area, if I might. The failure of Joe Biden to be able to claim a win for the $1.2 trillion infrastructure package, that which got through the U.S. Senate with 19 Republican votes and seemingly if they could only bring it to a vote would be able to get through the House of Representatives. Is that not the embodiment of the the sort of problems that you identified that caused you to say, I've got to go in my own direction and form a new party? In other words, there's such support in the nation for rebuilding broadband and bridges and roadways, and yet they can't even get that done because of partisanship and inner party fighting? A hundred percent, Michael. And one of the things I'm, I'm, I'm pointing out every chance I get is that the national approval rating of the U.S. Congress right now is 28 percent. The re-election rate for individual members of Congress is 92 percent, sky high. Uh, so you have to ask yourself, wait a minute, if you're not delivering in a way that makes us happy, why do all of you get, get to keep your jobs essentially forever? And the answer is, is that the game is not delivering for the general public. The game is uh, navigating the 10 to 20% most extreme voters who are in the party primary system that determined, by the way, 83% of these seats because 83% of these seats are either safely uh, blue or safely red. So in that environment, you have very little incentive to compromise and you have irrational uh, outcomes like this. Like everyone wants infrastructure, uh, it, it was signed off on by, uh, as you said, many, many Republicans, uh, and we're not able to get it done because uh, of the internal machinations. Uh, and a lot of 
Americans, unfortunately, are just looking up and throwing up their hands. The thing I'm going to say to people, and this is what my book's about, is that the system is going to keep failing us because it is designed to fail us. That is the revelation I had. And the only chance we have is to get into the guts and redesign the incentives. People are rational. We're at a point in American life where if everyone does what's in their interest, we are sunk. We have to change their interests so that they line up with the American people and do it as quickly as possible because we do not have a whole lot of time. I'm hopeful that your intelligence and your data is going to shake this thing up. It would really be a a welcome change. Thank you and all good things for your book. Thank you, Michael. Really appreciate this opportunity. Yeah, come back. Andrew Yang, thanks very much. Andrew Yang's brand new book is called Forward, ladies and gentlemen, and I think it's worthy. Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the Sirius XM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Tuesdays and Fridays. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? (laughs) Yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car... Use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.